because I don't care whether it takes me a week, a month, a year or a decade. I'm never going to stop hunting Kevin Powell. This is about truth over lies and right over wrong and, and, and seeing some sort of justice. I think a sense of justice is very important to all of us. And if something is, is unjust, then it hurts. I'm Nicola Talent. And I'm Brian Darcy. This is Crime World, a weekly podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld. Each week we get together to discuss the real stories and the real people behind the grisly headlines. Today I'm talking to former Scotland Yard detective Peter Bleaksley, who has dedicated the past year and a half of his life to tracking a fugitive. Kevin Parle is the chief suspect in two horrific gangland murders of a teenage boy and a young mum. He's been missing for 15 years and Bleaksley tells me that he could be in Ireland. Merseyside Police is offering a reward of 20 grand for information leading to Parle's arrest. But just who is he? And what drives Bleaksley's dangerous ambition to find him? From sundayworld.com, this is Crime World. A couple of years ago, people would not have necessarily known who Kevin Parle is, and yet he's a very significant player in, in gangland crime. And even within that world, he seems to me to have um, been responsible for really, really horrific murders. Yes. Tell me tell me about his victims. Okay, well, the first victim of the first murder that he's wanted for was a 16-year-old boy, a child, called Liam Kelly, who was gunned down in Grafton Street in 2004. He was called on to a straightener, you know, that colloquial term used in criminal circles often to describe a meeting where people might seek to get things straight between them or not, possibly. That, Peter, is your Grafton Street and not ours because here in Dublin we have one too. So you're, you, you, you're in Liverpool Indeed, this was, in this, Grafton this is, Street where this yeah, happens. Grafton Street in an area of Liverpool called the Dingle. Um... And Grafton Street's a a lovely road. I've been there many times. Rows of terraced houses, the majority of them beautifully kept. I've met many residents from that area who still remain shocked by the crime 16 years later, and many of whom are really aggrieved that Kevin Powell is still on the run for that crime. Powell, in fact, was arrested during the early stages of the inquiry, but um, a foolish young woman who thought she was Kevin Powell's only girlfriend at the time, and believe you me, she wasn't, um, kind of fell under his spell and gave a false alibi statement for him. So the police were up against a ticking clock in terms of how long they could keep him in custody, and they had to release him on bail whilst they investigated the alibi, which, of course, turned out to be untrue. And, in fact, that young lady, along with two other people, were later convicted offences relating to Liam's murder. A man called Anthony Campbell was convicted of life. He pleaded guilty, actually. And a man called Peter Sinclair was convicted of assisting Kevin Powell by uh, burning clothing and um, keeping kind of guard on him and providing a vehicle 
and helping to dispose of some mobile phones. Um, so, yeah, Paul's role in, in that crime, his alleged role, because he is unconvicted, was laid out clearly to the court during that case. The murder and the uh, assassination, essentially, of a 16-year-old boy, even as times have moved on and they move very quickly in the underworld and in gangland and things seem to get more and more violent. But even now, that is really shocking. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, appalling. And, and, and I'm so angered by that crime because whilst nobody that I've met has described Liam as a model student and he was a lively lad, he was a bit of a rascal, it's fair to say. But even so, 16 years old, gunned down and therefore denied the opportunity to grow, to mature, to enter manhood, to find a life partner, to have a family, to sort himself out and provide for him. All of that denied him because he was blasted to death with a shotgun. Now, a year after he's shot, um, Lucy Hargreaves, a mother of three, um, also is is subject to a horrific murder as she she's asleep on her sofa in her house. How is Parl connected to that or how is he allegedly involved in that murder? He remains very much wanted for that ghastly crime. Not only was Lucy, who has been described to me as being as beautiful on the inside as she was on the outside, not only was she blasted to death with a shotgun as she lay on the sofa, uh, the house was then set ablaze and Lucy's partner escaped from an upstairs bedroom with their two-year-old child. The other two kids were with the grandparents, um, escaped by leaping out of a window and her partner then ran round to the front of the house uh, and dragged Lucy's fatally wounded body from the blazing building. A really ghastly crime that shocked many, many people and, and there is still... A strong sense of outrage 15 years later that nobody has been convicted in connection with that crime. And there, of course, they are utterly repulsed by the fact that an entirely innocent, beautiful woman, mother of three young kids, was killed for absolutely no reason whatsoever. There's never been a motive suggested or, or developed at all in that case, has there? Yeah, there has. Two men, uh, Anthony or Tony, Fat Tony Downs and Kirk Bradley, stood trial in 2006 for Lucy's murder in the Crown Court at Liverpool. And they were both acquitted of the, of the crime uh, at what lawyers and police might call half-time. In other words, after the prosecution had presented their case because the judge instructed the jury to return not guilty verdicts because it was his ruling that the prosecution case wasn't strong enough. So Downs and Bradley hooped and hollered and skipped out of court, very pleased with their acquittal, um, but they didn't go on to live law-abiding lives. Um, in fact, they are both now currently serving life sentences for a, a series of crimes involving guns and grenades, basically a reign of terror on the city of Liverpool. Um, and they've, they they lived very colourful existences. They were both involved in uh, the, the van taking them to court on one day for their subsequent trial, was ambushed. Uh, guns were, were pulled on the driver of the security van. He was threatened to be shot and they were sprung from that van and escaped abroad where they were later captured, both of them captured in, in Holland brought back uh, another trial, another expensive trial, of course, 
and on that occasion they, they were convicted and as I say they're both serving life with a minimum term of 22 years and I wrote to Fat Tony Downs during the course of my hunt for Kevin Powell um, and got a very uh, interesting letter back from him shall we say. He wrote back. Yeah, he did. He was he was largely very disparaging of me, and uh, the letter was littered with obscenities and insults. Um, but you know, so be it. That's a matter for Tony Downs. He didn't want to appear in our BBC podcast about my hunt for Kevin Powell, and he didn't want to go in my book um, about my hunt for Kevin Powell. But on both fronts, he's very much disappointed because he features quite heavily. But Peter, he took the time to write, so we have to give him that. <laughs> another, indeed, another one. indeed. So people might know you best maybe as the chief, the star of, of your the Channel 4 hit show Hunted and Celebrity Hunted, which you, you worked on for a number of years, but you, you left that show, I think, in 2019. And really, this is where you and the missing Kevin Parle collide. So can you tell us how really you decided to take on board this hunt for this fugitive uh, and how it's brought you to your your podcast on BBC is a, a fantastic listen for anybody who, who hasn't already dipped into it. And you have your book out now as well, Manhunt. Um, tell me how you came across this story and why you felt so, you know, you, you had such an urge to go hunting Kevin Parle. Yeah, in February 2019, when I decided to leave uh, Channel 4's Hunted because we'd caught all the fugitives in the last series that I was involved in and I felt I'd taken my role just about as far as I could do, um, I was thinking what's going to be my next major project. My two previous books had been about unsolved murders, uh, but despite writing books and plays and all that kind of stuff, I had to face the reality that I was best known for hunting pretend fugitives on a TV entertainment reality show. So I thought I would build on my experience as a, as a detective in the police many years ago, uh, my network of contacts, my skills, what I'm best known for. So instead of hunting pretend fugitives, I thought I'd hunt a real one. Um, and really, they don't come any more wanted than Kevin Powell. In fact, there's not a, a current British fugitive wanted for two separate murders. Um, and I think he's led a charmed life for the last 16 years. He should be a household name in the UK and further afield, not only because of the nature of these ghastly crimes and, and the ages of the victims, uh, but the fact that he's, he's evaded capture for so long. And I thought... Well, I wrote to my publisher and said, look, they were willing to give me another book deal if I found the right material. They thought that going on the hunt for him would make the subject of a good book. I got that commissioned, launched my hunt for Parle at a press conference in London on the 29th of April. I did want to have the press conference in that wonderful city, Liverpool, out of respect to that city and its great people. But... Um, those who represent me said, look, some journalists simply won't travel to Liverpool, which I thought was a bit sad in itself. Um, so you'll get more big hitters come along if you hold it in London. So we did that. And then quite literally, as soon as that had finished, um, I did a radio interview and then jumped on a train to Liverpool, where I've spent many, many weeks in the last 18 months speaking to some astonishingly brave people who have come forward and told me what they know, um, and continue to do so, uh, which is brilliant. 
And of course, my hunt for Parle has taken me much further afield as well. So you're an ex-Scotland Yard undercover detective. I think you were a founding member of, of that unit in the 1980s and a lot of your work was pretty gritty and dangerous. Um, at one point, I think you were in the witness protection programme yourself. Um, when you approach a case like this, you're not a policeman anymore and you don't have those facilities that... Uh, maybe all good journalists wish they had to be able to, well, we certainly feel you can dip into a computer and put in a name and get all the information that we have to dig desperately for. But are you bringing the skills from your, obviously from both your, your careers into this and, and how are you approaching this essentially cold case hunt? Yeah, I'm, I'm reaching out and engaging the people in a way that the police simply can't do and and there are things that I I will continue to do that the police might not do for example I I push the boundaries on social media when I'm posting about Paul and 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 those that I firmly believe are connected to him I'll engage with people that the police might balk at engaging with for example sex workers um because it's been heavily suggested to me on more than one occasion that Paul may have engaged um, the services of sex workers whilst he's been on the run. And, and and so I often say I've found since leaving the police and becoming an investigative writer, essentially, that I often get further with a business card than I ever did with a warrant card. I'm not part of the establishment. Um, I don't have to abide by the rules and regulations that the police do. I will obey the law. I'm not going to go breaking the law by illegally accessing or hacking for data and all of that. And trust me, I know some people that could do that, but I simply won't because there's no point finding Paul for him to be in one cell and then me to be in the cell next to him. But I'm I'm lucky to have a bit of a public profile from my television and radio and writing work and, and, and people just choose to engage with me, which is fantastic. Um, I, I publicly vow and reiterate that I will never declare my sources, never. And I've got a bit of previous on that front because when I was a cop way back when, a judge uh, instructed me to declare uh, the identity of somebody who'd introduced me to some criminals. And I steadfastly refused, uh, so much so that the case got slung out and the judge reported me to the Director of Public Prosecutions for uh, contempt of court. Um, so I'm not afraid to stand up to the establishment. I won't declare my sources. People, I think, understand that. They believe it. They trust me. And consequently, they tell me what they know, which is brilliant. And bit by bit, I'm joining the dots. And at some point, Kevin Powell will be found. It's not a crime, of course, to ask questions. So let's talk about Kevin Powell now. Six foot six fugitive with well, the last time you knew of him, certainly he had some ginger hair, but he didn't start out like that. So tell me a little bit about his background and, you know, what brings him into, you know, as a, as a suspect, essentially, a person of interest in these two dreadful murders. Yeah, Kevin Powell didn't come from the tough side of the street in Liverpool. He didn't come from Croxteth or Toxteth or Norwich Green or Highton. Um, he lived in the sort of leafy, middle-class Pitville Avenue on the southern side of the city and was privately educated. 
Um, and many people have told me how smart he was, and they've often told me not to underestimate him. Intelligent is a word that people often use to describe him. Um, but he, he wanted to earn a lot of money, and, and I've discovered all these things because people that I've spoken to have known him from as far back as his primary school days. He wanted to make money. In fact, he was quite successful. He had, at the time he went on the run, he had um, many tens of thousands of pounds stashed away in various parts of the city. And I'm currently investigating some information that's come my way to say that he invested huge sums of money in other businesses. And I will, of course, uncover all of all of that. I know it's dated information, but of course, people's past behaviour is often a very clear indicator as to their future behaviour and habits, possibly. Um, he ran with the Liverpool Urchins, which is a Liverpool football club firm, um, but he was kind of not one of the big, tough, hard nuts, as you might expect somebody six foot six to be. He was the designated driver. He loved vehicles, drove fast, drove far too fast for some people's liking, um, and always wanted to get behind the wheel. Bit of a wannabe, wannabe gangster. Yes, he's been described as that to me. Uh, in fact, people were surprised when he was originally being named as being wanted for these two murders. And one one man said to me that they thought, well, um, well, Kev, that's a bit of a step up for you. Um, so his peers uh, were surprised by that. Um, that is kind of a criticism that you often hear being levelled at those who probably aren't born into that life, you know, that come from, as you say, he was educated and probably middle class. You know, you often find that they're, they spend their entire careers in gangland being told they don't fit in and yet they don't fit into the society they came out of either. Yeah, there's, there's an element perhaps of him trying to prove himself. Um, and certainly once he's found, should he be convicted of one or both of those crimes, that certainly would make absolute sense. Um, yeah, I also know from the testimony from other previous girlfriends and friends that he was known to carry weapons, and he really fell into the company of some pretty serious players on the Liverpool criminal landscape, um, although in the early days, they only really kind of trusted him to run the kids. Um, so he certainly, you know, had some way to go before being, a, shall we say, a, a Liverpool crime lord legend. What, what do you mean by that? And, and you, but also when you mentioned firm, you mean the gang? You mean a Liverpool a Liverpool gang when you say firm? Yeah, yeah? I mean Liverpool, of course, like every yeah. major city in the, in, in the UK and beyond um, has its notorious criminals. It's those that are very yeah. much at the, the top of that triangle of of serious and organised crime. Um, and Paul, I think, was on his way to establishing. So in his 20s, he's kind of clawing his way and trying to get to a position within a gang as opposed to naturally getting there. Is that is that what you mean? Yes, by yeah, yeah. There was an element of he had to prove himself. And of course, he was only 24, 25 when he went on the run for these crimes. He's only 40 mm -hmm. now. His 40th birthday was in May of this year. Um, and yeah, I mean, somebody going back some time actually described him as a bit of a clown, um, which I'm sure he wouldn't like to hear. But that's how some people perceived him 
in his sort of teenage years. So certainly not born into criminality, raised in criminality, hard-nosed from the, from the tough side of the street fella. He most definitely was not. And Liam Kelly, this teenager that's, that's shot dead, has, have you any idea exactly what role the police believe that Parle may have played in that? Or Yeah, Parle pulled the trigger. A court has been told that Parle right. pulled the trigger. And that, that's so, so that is clear. It's alleged, of course, he remains unconvicted. And I make no apology for re- reiterating that. But a court was told that Paul pulled the trigger. And was the individual who did pull the trigger, be it Paul or whoever, was that believed to have been a hitman for hire? Or was it somebody with a personal grudge against the teenager? Yeah, no, it was a fallout um, basically between Liam Kelly and the other man who pleaded guilty to his part in Liam's murder, was convicted of murder, Anthony Campbell. It, it, the dispute originated over £200 that Liam lent to someone and the money wasn't being repaid. There was a dispute. Liam apparently went round to uh, a relative's, not a relative of Liam's, but a relative of the man that owed him the money, and in a fit of sort of um, anger, threw a pedal bike through a window. And this was just how this minor, quite pathetic debt over 200 quid escalated. And, of course, sadly, ended up with Liam's murder. And was Parle arrested in connection with that murder? Yeah, yeah, in the early stages of the inquiry, but because of the false alibi and the ticking clock, he was released on bail, from which he, of course, disappeared, never to be in custody again. And in the Lucy Hargreaves case? Has he been nominated as a possible suspect? Oh, yes, 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 yes. He's been widely circulated by the police as a suspect in that case. Um, And, um, yeah, and, and remains so. Uh, it will be very interesting, of course, when he's captured to see, bearing in mind that Downs and Bradley were acquitted of that crime, it will be very interesting to see if the police have any new evidence, whether they charge him, whether the Crown Prosecution Service decide to charge him or not. Um, but, you know, th- those matters really are not matters for me. I have set myself deliberately narrow parameters in so much as that mm. I simply want to find Kevin Powell, I have got a pile of information and intelligence about serious criminality that other people, in fact, people that are harbouring and funding Kevin Powell, that, that they are up to. And bit by bit, I'm joining the dots. But that's not what I set out to do. My my parameters remain narrow in so much as I just want to find Paul. But if I have to investigate a considerable number of other people involved in crime in order to get to Paul and find him, well, then I'm afraid that's just what I'm going to have to do. Just to want to bring you back slightly, Peter, to Lucy Hargreaves. Was Paul essentially living under the radar at the time she was shot yes. was he yes he was so he was essentially a fugitive at that point he was he was already on the run for the Liam Kelly murder yes and clearly then in 2005 he was lying low in the UK well let's just let's just say you know he, he the, the police have, have said he is wanted for that crime and that crime of course took place in Liverpool in Walton yeah. um so there's there's an obvious um, inference to be taken. So we suspect he was he was still in the UK in 2005, we can say. It is, yeah, strongly suspected on, on that fateful date in yeah. August of 2005. That he was within the UK. Yeah. So 
Your investigations. Yep. Where do you believe he went next or what do you think he has been doing since then? Kevin Powell, at and around the time of the murders um, and since those murders have been committed, has got links to many places, um, Scotland, uh, Manchester, Warrington, Spain, um, and 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 other places uh, where he or people that I strongly suspect are linked to him um, have links. Also, Thailand. I know that he was in Thailand in around 2008. He was definitely in Torrevieja in Spain in 2006. He's certainly been in Spain much more recently than that, uh, but also Thailand and Dubai. And, of course, there are many names that come my way that are also linked to all or some of those places. Now, because of your background in, in, in Scotland Yard, you are pretty much quite good, I presume, at separating fact from fiction. So all these places that you're telling me you believe him to be, you strongly believe that because of the information you have, some of which you can't share with us. But nonetheless, you've established in as much as you can that these are the places he's been. Um, Have you any indication that he maybe has been in Ireland or has been visiting here, has any connections with with Ireland? We do know there's a a strong links between Liverpool and the Irish underworld. Yeah, I am told, albeit I am yet to confirm it, but I am told that since he has been on the run, Kevin Powell has been in Ireland. Now, that would make sense for many, many reasons. Links between organised crime in Liverpool and Ireland are well known and have been proven over the years in certain cases. Um, The the mere proximity of of Liverpool to Ireland, of course, is another factor. Um, So, yeah, I strongly suspect that he has been in Ireland whilst on the run. Um, I would be extremely grateful if anybody could corroborate that for me. Um, I'm so easily contactable. Um, I'm across all various social media platforms as Peter Blexley, although there's an unusual spelling of my surname, which, forgive me, I'll do now. It's B-L-E-K-S-L-E-Y. I have a website, peterblexley.com, and I really couldn't be more easily contactable. And I do, of course, have a phone number, which I'm always willing to give out if anybody wants to speak to me in absolute confidence. I'll reiterate that once again. And the number is 07908 617 Somebody mentioned Wexford to me. I haven't been able to corroborate mm. that. That, that may be um, true or not. And somebody also mentioned that Paul could well be uh, being assisted by a notorious Irish family uh, with very with links to serious crime. So all of those things could absolutely be true. And I would be extremely grateful if people could let me know what they know. Mm, I'll put all your details up on our website, on the Sunderworld.com website anyway, with your uh, links to your webpage and your numbers on them. But going back to that, um, just going back briefly there to you believe he has links to um, to an Irish criminal gang, obviously a family gang. Um, and the 
obviously you feel that Parl is still working within the underworld and is still operating possibly for hire for various gangs or is do you think that he is actually ensconced in a particular outfit? Yeah, the latter. He's ensconced with a particular group of criminals that are harbouring him and funding him. And why are they doing that? Well, of course, he's an asset. Now, for over 10 years of my police career, I worked undercover. So I pretended to be that gangster buying guns and drugs and plotting to kill people and buying counterfeit currency and, and, and all those kind of things. And when I would go on an undercover job, Quite often, I would take the biggest, ugliest bloke that was one of our trained undercover cops with me to be my driver, to be my minder. Now, picture this hypothetical situation that somebody that is connected to Paul is standing on the, the, the side of a marina somewhere in Europe negotiating a multi-million pound drug importation with some South Americans, for example. If you pitch up to those kind of negotiations and you say to the South Americans now, please don't supply me with substandard gear and don't try and rob me of my money because if you do, my mate here, i.e. a six-foot-six kind of bloke who's wanted for two murders in the UK, that bloke will get rather upset and you know what he's like, you know what he does. You know, so if you take that hypothetical scene... It's not too much of a stretch to think, well, yeah, maybe Kevin Powell is a valuable asset to those involved in that kind of criminality. And I'm convinced he is. And there's no doubt, but within that world, you can have false documentation, high class passports, etc., um, you know, issued to you and you can live undercover in that world. It's everything you need to do that will be facilitated for you. Yeah, a top grade forged passport will cost you three thousand euros. Three thousand euros in southern Spain, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, pretty small fry to people involved in multi-million-pound drug importations. I would suggest. And is it your belief that Parl perhaps um, was working with groupings down along the costa for for some years, and and is maybe still in that region or, uh, and perhaps visiting Ireland and the UK or do you think he's further afield now at this stage and presumably he knows that you're hunting him and that his name has all of a sudden, um, you know, you've managed to whatever else you've given him the X factor when it comes to uh, criminals who are wanted. Yeah, yeah, that, that's for sure. His profile has risen significantly since I've been looking for him and I've often questioned whether I'm doing the right thing on many occasions because um, not so many months ago, somebody who was giving me, uh, well, somebody overheard a conversation where Kevin Powell was being discussed, let's say that, and somebody dived into this conversation and said to these people, you better stop talking about Kevin Powell because if you don't, he's the kind of man that will stop you talking about him. Um, and these people were, quite frankly, very scared of being approached in that manner. So I've thought to myself, oh, crikey, am, am I actually kind of raising his value and raising his stock within organised crime as he becomes more well-known and, and the crimes that he's wanted for 
get more widely known about, does that actually increase his value to people involved in serious and organised crime? So that has made me question what I'm doing, but I pretty soon get over it and say, look, come on to myself, just just plough on because he will be found. He needs to be found because this is about truth over lies and right over wrong and, and, and seeing some sort of justice. I think a sense of justice is very important to all of us. And if something is is unjust then it then it hurts and 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 the pain doesn't go away and i can only imagine the ongoing pain that liam and lucy's families must feel so at the end of the day actually it's not about kevin powell it's not about me it's about liam and lucy is there any possibility peter he's dead no no there's an urban myth going around liverpool or there was that kevin powell was dead and a few people trolled me and were pretty unpleasant towards me in the early stages of my hunt for him by saying you'd need a deep sea diving suit to fish him out the Mersey or he went off in a boat in the Mediterranean and got chopped to bits and all of that. I would urge anybody that listens to our podcast or reads my book, which are two very different things, by the way, um, you will see all the all the evidence in there you need to convince you that he is absolutely alive. I know he's alive, um, and and I've largely debunked that myth that he's dead. Do have you ever received threats in 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 this manhunt for Kevin Parle? Oh yes, I've I've had lots of unpleasantness across social media and and, and in other ways. In fact, um, on Twitter, pictures of my house have been posted twice uh, on one occasion with an accurate description of the bedroom that I sleep in. And there are many people that are continually trying to knock me off course and intimidate me and harass me. Um, And why are they doing that, these foolish people? Because he's alive, because he's an asset to them, because they don't want me to find him. Well, they are doomed to fail because I don't care whether it takes me a week, a month, a year or a decade. I'm never going to stop hunting Kevin Powell. In fact, the only thing that will stop me hunting Kevin Powell is number one, he gets captured or number two, I stop breathing. Um, and it's as sim- it's as plain and simple as that. I'm never going to give up. They're never going to knock me out of my stride or intimidate me into giving up. Um, and, and it's really quite as plain and simple as that. And of course, I- I- intimidation and, and threats are the first and pretty much, well, you know, certainly their first weapon of war from that world. But um, did you ever consider properly retiring or maybe, you know, getting out of the crime game at all? Or have you a bit of an addiction to it all? No, well, I was medically retired after 21 years in the cops because I had to spend two years in the witness protection programme which um, because it was a very real threat to my life. Um, and so I hurriedly had to abandon my home, my identity, and, and was parachuted in, uh, in the witness protection. And I didn't have a great time during those two years, um, to say the very least. I drank too much, smoked too much. I had the constant threat of an assassin's bullet in the back of my head. And believe it or not, the police still wanted me to work undercover. So on any given day, I could be three different people by about half past 11 in the morning. Um, it was a recipe for disaster. And I had an enormous mental breakdown. My mental health just absolutely collapsed. And I was placed in a lock-in psychiatric ward for three and a half weeks. Um, I've been hospitalised since, albeit many years ago, and I'm very happy to say that my mental health is is robust and, and I enjoy 
the the best of mental health these days, but it's a, something I'm passionate about. Um, so when I was medically retired, there I was, 40 years of age, no education to fall back on, you know, merely just a, a couple of exams, um, no trade, no craft, nothing like that. I really didn't know what I was going to do. And I've, I've completely felt on the scrap heap of life at, at the young age of 40. Um, I got a contract to write my autobiography, uh, which did okay, and that really propelled me into the media, into commentating about policing and crime and that kind of stuff. And, and bit by bit, it's certainly not been a gravy train. In fact, I've had to take other work in the last 20 years, like, you know, working on the doors in nightclubs and other security roles, and I sold furniture for a little bit. So it's not been a gravy train, but by and large, I've managed to eke out uh, a living, writing books, writing plays, and being in the media ever since. But my books, of course, are about unsolved murders, or the latest one, my hunt for Kevin Powell. There's there's a large part of me that is still frustrated that I didn't do my 30 years in the cops, and I think mm-hmm. that's what keeps driving me on. I still think I'm a public servant. And obviously you like to keep busy this um you know, this year has been difficult for travelling and doing what you're doing, which is really going out meeting people, isn't it? Because it's kind of a, sometimes you can really get the measure of somebody when you look into the whites of their eyes. It's, you know, there's no no comparison to having a phone call or um, email communication or whatever. So I'm sure you like to get out there. But um, nonetheless, you're going back on the road very soon. And um, where... Is Kevin Parle and the hunt for Kevin Parle going to take you next? Are you going to visit Ireland? Are you going to come over here and make some inquiries about that tip you have in Wexford? Yeah, as soon as we can travel, I'd like to do Thailand, Dubai, Spain again, Ireland and a couple of other places, which uh, I'm afraid I can't say because I don't want to tip Kevin Powell and his cohorts the wink too much. Um, mm. But all those places, <laughs> if the if the BBC podcast budget stretches that far, I'd really like to visit. Um, we shall see. I doubt we'll have the money to do all of those. Mm. Uh, but again, I will go where the information leads me. Yes, it's been frustrating during lockdown, but of course, we live in the age of the digital detective. So there's an awful lot I can do from my desktop, uh, fortunately, and that has kept the hunt very much alive. People have kept in contact with me and new sources read the book and they say to themselves, you know what, he's all right, this Peter Blexey, I'm going to tell him what I know. And that, of course, is very, very rewarding. Um, Likewise with the podcast, people have listened to it and they know that I'm not a hit-and-run merchant. I'm not just in this as some kind of attention-seeking, self-glorificating idiot. You know, this is about Liam and Lucy, and I'm in this for the long haul, and I will never, ever give up. He needs to be found. It's as simple as that. And and if all these people involved in this organised crime that I firmly believe are harbouring and funding him don't want to hand him over and they want to keep hold of him, well, then when he gets captured, all their criminality is going to get exposed and they'll be really foolish because some of them are going to be staring down the barrel of a very, very lengthy jail term. I mean, look, if you if you keep looking long enough, there's no doubt you'll find him. A lot of roads are leading to Dubai these days when it comes to organised crime. We have our own um, individuals out there who 
are of interest to the the police. And I know there's a number of criminals from the UK and in particular Liverpool who are fighting extradition from there at the moment. It seems to be the new Costa at times, doesn't it? Yeah, and it's been described like that to me. And um, some people have given me some great insight into Dubai. You might think from afar that it's a, because it's an authoritarian regime that it's going to be very heavy, heavily regulated and, and it would be the last sort of place people would go but it is a favoured haunt now. It is easy to rent an apartment or a room in a hotel without having to show any ID if you know the right people and you're willing to pay the going rate. Um, And that's exactly what people are doing. Dubai has been mentioned to me on a number of occasions, together with the, the name of a man called Leon Cullen, who's currently in custody in Dubai, awaiting extradition to the UK. Um, a guy called Michael Carroll from from Manchester. Um, I've been told that he's been connected to Paul, which may or may not be true. Um, and so, of course, you can tell that my my investigation has many many threads to it. There are many many dots to join, dots to join, but um, mm. but but every week some of those actually do get joined, and um, and that's very rewarding. And um, the day gets captured will be a good day. Well, I will pass on anything I get in on on uh, on Parl or his possible whereabouts. Of course, people should realise he is not going under that name at the moment. He will be under some sort of a false identity, but nothing can change his height, which I think is the one thing that really stands out for him at six foot six. You don't see too many, uh, you know, people of that stature. Yeah. So, um, you know, if if either members of the public or indeed people w- hanging around the fringes of the underworld have any information on them, you'd be very happy to to have it. Peter, thank you very much. And we will talk to you again. We'll follow up on your your follow ups here in Ireland and uh, see if uh, if your fugitive might indeed either be here or have visited. Thanks very much. May I just say one thing before we go, please? Mm, um, of course. The, the uh, Merseyside police are still offering a £20,000 reward for Paul's capture and conviction. I need to emphasise that. So, um, yeah, that's just a, a, a carrot that may appeal to some. In fact, I've been advised by a number of people to set up my own reward fund because many members of the public are thinking about contributing to that. But um, that's not something I'm thinking of doing right now, but something that I might bear in mind for the future. Okay, that's brilliant. Thanks, Peter. Thank you very much indeed, Nicola. It was great. From sundayworld.com, this is Crime World, produced by Ian Mullaney. Available online and on all podcast platforms. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review. And if you want to get in touch, check out our Facebook page, Crime World with Nicola Talent.